Um, I'm going to share for a few minutes here. Um, I had a sense to talk a little bit. I was going to focus primarily on the lamb, and I want to do that, but I want to land on the lamb. And I want to start with Jesus as the ascended one and talk about the ascension. Uh, I think it's very important during these 10 days. You know, it started off with Jesus ascending to the right hand of the Father. And for me, I see the ascension um, as a bridge from Passover to Pentecost. And I think it's uh, one of the times in the church calendar that we need to remember to the same degree that we think on the incarnation, we think on the uh, death and uh, burial at the cross, we think on the resurrection, um, and we think on Pentecost. I think we need to see a reformation of the ascension and really give our attention to the ascension. Uh, so I'm going to kind of start that, unpack the ascension a little bit, and then land on this subject of the ascended Christ is a worthy lamb. Amen? And again, it's this lamb uh, who poured out his love to the highest level. It's that love that fills us and baptizes us. We love God because he first loved us. And so that's how we'll tie in the revelation from Gaylord to Jesus as the lamb towards the end. And we'll pray for that. Um, everybody hear me okay? Okay. Let's do it. <laughs> uh, again, as we said, uh, after the resurrection, Jesus taught his disciples about God's kingdom, right? For 40 days, Acts 1-3, and then he was taken up to heaven. So the cross, uh, the empty tomb are at the very heart of the gospel message proclaimed by Jesus' followers all throughout church history. But I think for us as evangelical Christians and churches, Jesus' ascension, sometimes it becomes almost like an afterthought to Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. And again, we need to remember during this 10 days, the ascension is what sets up the 10 days as we then go wait and tarry on the promised gift of the Spirit and Pentecost. So I want to lay first, maybe let's do this. Let me just lay a biblical foundation for us of what we believe concerning Jesus. So I'm going to give you some doctrine, okay? Um, I love sound doctrine, and I think we need truth in these last days. So let me summarize as best I can. Um, we believe and declare that Jesus Christ is God incarnate. He's fully God, fully man. We, we know that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He offered himself as a substitutionary sacrifice for sinners. By the blood of his cross, he satisfied the wrath of God. He obtained for us eternal redemption the forgiveness of sins, spiritual adoption as sons and daughters, life everlasting, eternal life, and he defeated the powers of darkness. He was raised uh, from the grave bodily on the third day, and he ascended, here we go, to the right hand of the Father. He's there to make intercession for the saints. Amen and amen. How's that? Off the cuff. Hallelujah. <laughs> Do you sense the anointing? I love sound doctrine. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> so let me just give you a couple points now of the ascension. I was going to go through maybe uh, 
six, seven, or eight points on the ascension, then we're going to land this on the land. Number one, uh, first ascension aspect, the prophecy of Psalm 110. So what I want to do here is show you the supremacy of this message. It's so critical in Scripture. Uh, the most frequently quoted Old Testament passage found in the New Testament is Psalm 110. Believers identified this passage as one of the most helpful in interpreting what was happening before their very eyes. So let me uh, read that. Psalm 110, if you, if you brought your Bibles. I don't have this memorized yet, but let me uh, pull it up here. I think if, if a verse is quoted that much in the inspired text of Scripture, we should pay attention to it. This is very important Scripture, right? The Lord uh, uh, says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. So the Father is going to say to his son Jesus, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments from the womb of the morning. The dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord, Yahweh, has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He's a king priest. Amen. So just real briefly, David's points here, right? Uh, themes are just as true for us today as they were in the New Testament. The Messiah, the Christ, sits down at God's right hand. He extends his scepter, which makes everyone, even his enemies, his subjects. His followers volunteer to join him in his kingdom's advance. And he reigns on their behalf, assuming the role of God's high king, high priest. Amen. Psalm 110, very important. The theme of the ascension. Uh, let's do second point here. Uh, Jesus continues his work after the ascension. Uh, Acts 1, 1 and 2 says, you know, in the first book, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up. So the small, um, important word there, began, it signals that Jesus' ascension doesn't mark the cessation, but, it, but the continuation of his work as both Lord and Christ, right, as Messiah. Amen? Uh, third point, Jesus' ascension is his heavenly enthronement as king. Heavenly enthronement as king. So Jesus' ascension, he's, um, he's installed or inaugurated as the true king of the world. Right? His kingdom, it can't be destroyed. It's never going to pass away. According to Revelation 3, Jesus conquered and he sat down with his father on his throne, where he receives, in that place, unending praise because of his outpoured love and his worth because of that love. He's all deserving of it. So Jesus is going to reign at God's hand, right hand until his enemies are subdued or put under, placed under his feet. Powerful language. So God's kingdom then has been inaugurated through the enthronement of Jesus, who now sits on heaven's throne. So we crown him as king of kings. So you can think of this as the coronation of the king. 
in heaven, now as a man, fully God, with a glorified human body reigning over the earth and heaven and all the cosmos. Big deal. Jesus' ascension is his return to the Father, right? You know, Jesus makes that really clear. He came from the Father, and he's come into the world, and now he's going to leave the world and go back to the Father. Um, I love Daniel 7. Daniel 7. It says, uh, I saw in the, right, in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days. That's the Father, the Father of glory. Abba, and he was presented before him. And to this one like a son of man, the Lord Jesus, to him was given dominion, glory, given him a kingdom that all the peoples, all the nations, all the languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. It's never going to pass away, right? His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Hallelujah. Jesus, this, this speaks of Jesus is coming to the Father in heaven, and it's in that place that he's going to receive vindication and authority. At his ascension, Jesus Christ, fully God, returns to heaven, now fully human as well. And this ascension now is one that declares Jesus as a man now, ruling over the, over the cosmos. He's crowned King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and this is happening now in the very middle of history. It's that fulfillment of John 17, right? Four and five. Jesus prays to the Father, I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I don't think there's probably been a sweeter reunion in all of history when the Father reunites with his worthy Son. Just as he went up to heaven, he's going to come back down from heaven. But right now, he is, sits there as the ascended Lord Jesus, and he is our heavenly mediator and high priest. Jesus is the unique mediator between God and us. Right? His death, his resurrection secured for us forgiveness, justification, reconciliation with God, but also the exalted Jesus is now in heaven and he's interceding for his people as our true high priest and advocate. That's great news. Great news. He's praying for our 10 days right now. Hallelujah. And he's the eternal intercessor who ever lives to intercede. During Jesus's work, it wasn't then just, um, you know, when, when he was on the earth, it was, it was geographically limited, right? He, he didn't teach in Ethiopia while he was healing in China. But now he's at work everywhere. And he's able to heal and hear and respond to his people's prayers, no matter what the time or the place. And not only that, it's wonderful news that he sympathizes with us in our struggles. Right there with you, Gaylord, on a, a tough night last night. <laughs> That's human. And we need Jesus. We need his help every day. And the great news is he promises us during these 10 days to do whatever we ask <laughs> in his name. Glory. Why? Because he's the ascended Christ. Uh, uh, let's do another one. The, the, the ascended Lord Jesus is going to return too, right, as our king and our judge. Um, Acts 1.11, right, the two angels are there. 
the disciples, this Jesus who is taken up from you to heaven, he's going to come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So Jesus' heavenly reign is going to one day be fully realized, we know, on the earth, starting in the city of Jerusalem. Hallelujah. I did that one for Grant. <laughs> it's so true. And so that's why Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we know at his return, the Lord Jesus is going to execute divine judgment. He's going to vindicate his people, and he's going to judge his enemies. Good news. Um, let me talk now about just the Father's dream. I believe it's the Father's dream to see all things summed up in his Son. His preordained plan and purpose is that Jesus Christ would have supremacy and preeminence in all things. And we know at the core, the being of God, the blazing center of his glory, God is love. Paul declares that Ephesians 1, right? Making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on the earth. Unite all things in Christ. When Jesus ascended, right, it, it was and, and it remains this climactic outcome, the ultimate destination for which he descended into our world in the first place, right? So he, he also came down to the lower earthly places, right, Ephesians 4. The one who came down is the same one who went up. So he went up higher than all the heavens, and he did it, I love this phrase, in order to fill all creation, what does that mean? I have no idea, but it's awesome. <laughs> I mean, it, what I think is that this is going to result ultimately in every corner of the universe giving full attention to the ascension. Glory. He's all-consuming. He's all-sufficient. He's all-satisfying. He is our treasure. He's our great reward. Jesus sits down at the right hand of God's, of God's right hand. He, he assumes the position of greatest power and greatest authority. And I think it also privileges the Son with the closest intimacy with the Father, which we get to enter into. So the same love that the Father has for His Son, we get to share in that love, receive that love, and then love him in return. And the best way we love him is by loving one another as he loved us. Now, being seated assumes that Jesus' official installment as king was at his ascension. It's the beginning of the coronation celebration that anticipates the final day when every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. What that means is that Jesus is reigning now. It's not passive. It is active reigning. And we get to reign with him. Let's land this now for a few minutes on the Lamb. And then we're going to pray for a baptism of love. I think Jesus' passion on the cross and his ascension are linked together forever. 
Let me explain why. Uh, Revelation 5, 1 through 6. I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll, written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals, right? And then I saw a strong angel. So the thing in Revelation, it's not about what comes next, but it's about what John sees next. It's the number one command to behold and to look and to see. I saw a strong angel, right? Who's worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals? And there's no one in heaven, right? And John begins to weep. But then an angel comes and he says, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. This is ascension language. This is kingship language, right? Jesus is the ruler of kings on earth. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seals, to receive from the Father the very title deed of the earth, to not just receive the inheritance of the earth, but to exercise the authority to, to take it back. And then it says this, and I looked again, so, so, the, so the angel says, behold, here's the lion, John, behold the lion, and then John looks, Behold, and what does he see? He sees a lamb. The lion is a lamb. He's always a lion and he's always a lamb. He's a lion lamb. Hallelujah. Behold, in the midst of the throne, that word midst there is the word center. And so it, it says in the midst of, in the center of the throne. So not just in the throne room, but in the very center of the throne. And I would say even this, too, in the very center of the, the one who sits on the throne is a lamb. He stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. It's amazing to me that in Revelation, the primary face of Jesus is a lamb. 28 times. Some scholars say 31 times in the book. Jesus is identified and revealed as a lamb. Not too many times in the New Testament, but in the last book of the New Testament, this is his primary face. I think if Jesus is a lamb, looking as if he'd been slain, still bearing the very scars and marks of his sacrifice, these, what you call, might call medals of glory, that show forth his love. Listen, when we see these, we're going to weep. We're going to weep over nail-pierced hands with gratitude and thanksgiving forever forever and ever. But here's the thing. I think if Jesus is a lamb in the center of the throne, in the very center of God's person as the triune God of grace, then I think he should be in the center of the throne on the earth and in the hearts of us as his people. The reason this is so critical is because we need to know him as a lamb to truly understand his love that was fully revealed as he sacrificed his life. We'll never be able to love one another the way that he loved us first unless we have revelation of the cross and we remember his wounds and we meditate on those wounds. Think about these phrases for a moment. Uh, Jesus went from victim to victor as the ascended one, right? He goes from a worm despised to a warrior now. He goes from humiliation to glorification. 
He goes from torture to triumphant. He goes from degradation to exaltation. He goes from a lowly bleeding lamb to now a glorified lion lamb. The agony that he endured on the cross has been vindicated by the awesome dominion that he now exhibits at the right hand of the Father forever. Just imagine with me, he goes from wearing a cruel crown of thorns to now wearing a golden crown of glory, from robes dipped in blood to a kingly robe of splendor, from a mock scepter in his hand to a scepter of authority, from the insults of men to the worship of angels, from the filth of sin to the beauty of holiness. Think about his hair and his, his head, right, once soaked in blood. It's now dazzling white as snow. The one whose eyes stung and dripped with blood, they're now blazing like fire. His face that was once swollen and raw from patches of his beard torn out. It's now shining brighter than the sun. All its brilliancy, his body was once stripped naked. Now he's clothed with eternal majesty. His hands pierced, now bleeding infinite splendor, the very light of God, the healing of God to the nations. His feet once spiked to a stake of timber. Now they're gleaming like burnished bronze in a furnace. His side once pierced. And now hear him say, this wound in my side, in my heart is for you. Every wound bleeds glory. Let me give you one final scene before we pray. I want you to think on this. Revelation 5, 6 describes this triumphant lion of the tribe of Judah as the lamb of glory. And he's standing in the center of the throne of heaven, looking as if he'd been slain. What does that really mean? Access has been granted to behold glory. The worship scene in Isaiah 6, we're familiar with. Right, the, the same four living creatures are there. They have the eyes, they have the four faces, they have the six wings. They're called the seraphim, the burning ones. And in, and in Isaiah 6, right, what do they do? They take their wings and they have to cover their eyes and they have to cover their feet. And the, the other two, they, they fly, it says. But there's a shift from Isaiah 6 to Revelation 4. Something changed. And now these four, same four living creatures, they're singing basically the same song, holy, holy, holy. And yet now they don't cover their faces. Now they behold glory. They have eyes all around, front and back, and they're looking now. What changed? I think it's that this one standing in the center of the throne has made access now to behold glory. The scene shifts from the prophet Isaiah, right? In Isaiah 6, 
where Isaiah sees God, but, but, he, but he has to, he, he bows and he says, woe, he cries out, woe is me. But we see the shift in Revelation 4 and 5, not just woe is me, but now they're declaring and crying out, worthy are you. Because of the cross, because of the blood of the Lamb, God has given us freedom by the Holy Spirit to behold glory and declare, worthy are you. Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing forever and evermore. And it's this worthy lamb that received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he baptized us in love on Pentecost. He filled us with the very love that was most fully revealed at the cross. So that now we can share and enter into that love. You know, during these 10 days, it's not really about what are we getting out of worship or what are we getting out of prayer. It's really about us entering into the worship song and the prayer that's been happening forever because of the worth of Jesus. That's why we're doing 10 days. And, it's, and, and we're interceding there because there's so many on the earth that need a fresh touch of the love of Jesus. Amen and amen.